We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, GMAC, Andrew Claudio here with another edition of the Knicks Film School podcast. Welcome back to Casual Fridays here on the KFS podcast feed. Uh, the the a casual episode where we chill and it's not you're dressed down. You're not in your work uniform. Um, some of us might be wearing jeans. I'm in shorts right now. Shout out to working from home. And we're going to casually talk about some very hot topics in the NBA, specifically about our New York Knicks at large. Uh, joining me, as always, our panel for today. First, let's start with the man, the myth, legend, Mr. Sean with a W, Sean Hardy. Sean, how are the vibes? Your mic is muted. No, you said the man, the myth, the legend. So I'm wondering who you're uh, talking about. I'm, talking I'm just about. looking to see. If we're, uh, the vibes are again. The vibes are optimal. They're not. Uh, they're not maximized. They're not immaculate, but they are optimal okay. because we root for a good basketball team, no matter what certain people on the internet may tell you. I Rihanna's internet, right? Well, I mean, that goes without saying, but just in case you didn't know, just in case for those who don't know, it is Rihanna's internet, arguing for goldfish. Mm -hmm. I saw her at the Golden Globes the other night, and every time they put the camera on her, I was like, oh, the woman, you created the internet, according to Sean. Um, She didn't create the internet, she just, she it just belongs to her. It's just her internet, okay, (laughs) the woman that owns the internet, gotcha. That Uh, made it sound like you were there, by the way, Andrew, you sounded like you were. I was thinking the same thing, he was like, I saw (laughs) you know, I saw it the other day. Yeah, and? Uh, That'd be funny if KFS had like a plane for me to just fly to the Beverly Hilton in Hollywood just randomly. Uh, That voice you heard from afar is uh, the one and only XJ. XJ, how are the vibes? The vibes are slightly above average as they tend to be when you're a Knicks fan, which is good. But I'm feeling extra casual. We got MLK MLK day coming up. So, Mm. you know, we got a long weekend. Super casual. There you go. Um, Let's see. It happened again that I have no idea what the federal holidays are because I'm just so out of the loop 
with all of these days off that you working people have. And I was, I was about to wish you a happy new year again. Um, anyway, uh, yes, as we head into this long weekend and keep it casual here on this Friday, um, we've got some conversation topics to get through. And I think we should just dive right in. Sean, we're going to lead with you. Um, I know your topic and I'm, I guess I'm ready to have the conversation that for some reason, nobody brings it up ever. No one ever decides to, this is a, an out of nowhere conversation, but I'm not going to like tell you that this isn't a conversation that probably needs to be had. So Sean, your box in one topic for today is what? It is. And I actually don't think that this conversation has happened on a wide scale. Well, good. Let's but have the it. conversation is, an honest conversation of Tom Thibodeau. Okay. Not a conversation, not a hot take machine, not a just throw shit at a wall and see if it sticks and see if it sticks. Not an agenda driven one or a narrative driven one. An honest conversation about Tom Thibodeau. And I would not be, I wouldn't be telling the truth if I said that. It may have been inspired partially by a newsletter by a certain Knicks content creator that was uh, really that was uh, released earlier this week. Although I had had this idea in my head before that. Um, Tom Thibodeau, let me say, I'll start off by saying this. Tom Thibodeau is a good coach. He's not a great coach. He's not a terrible coach. If you say those two things, you are not telling the truth. I'm sorry. Um, Shwini Poo had a great thread about Tibbs. He has it pinned on his profile. Shout out to Schwinn. Feel free to check it out. On Feel free to... Well, don't pause this. Listen to this and then go check that out later, right? Um, but the gist of it is that his... What makes him great also makes him not great. Like his biggest strength is his biggest weakness. Um, if Tom Thibodeau, you cannot say Tom Thibodeau is a bad coach or a terrible coach because he will establish a baseline level of competence for your franchise. He will raise your floor, period. He's done that everywhere he's been. You know what you're, you know what the bare minimum is with Tom Thibodeau. He's not great because the baseline standard that he creates is based on a level of rigidity that only which he that baseline level of rigidity, he will only deviate from at the last resort. If not, he will stick. He will stick with that. Um, for those who are watching YouTube, I actually took notes, and I'm going to refer to those notes. That's why I keep looking down. Like this, like I'm like, like I'm having a sermon, right? Um, so there are Tibbs haters out there, and there are Tibbs apologists out there. Both of them suck, <laughs> and because you're going to extremes. And part of the issues that we have in this country as a whole is that we have one side over here and one side over here, and nobody wants to even approach the middle. The, the Tibbs haters make me sick because they just say things that just aren't true. Like, no one has developed under Tibbs. The kids are getting better in spite of him. Um, I saw, I, I literally, like, 
it, it doesn't make any like this thing that they say about him like is just like ridiculous. Like the idea that like if we had another coach, we'd be this fifty-one team, whatever. That whatever. That's garbage. Um, the apologists suck because they are com- they're always making excuses for him for the things that he's not good at. And every NBA coach has things they're good at and not good at. Every one of them. Steve Kerr has them. Steve Kerr, Doc Rivers, Billy Donovan, Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, whatever, right? Uh, but like we can't have honest conversation with somebody if we don't acknowledge what goes what they do right and do wrong. I like to think of myself as a Tibbs realist. Like I recognize his strengths and I recognize his weaknesses and I'm willing to have conversations about them. And I would wish, and I, and I, and I realize that most people are either one end or the other. There's not very few people in the middle, but I wish more people come to the middle. Um, Here's the honest conversation for me. If you ask me what the job of a head coach is, and it doesn't matter what the sport it is to put your players in the best possible position to succeed. So I will ask you gentlemen, do you think (laughs) this season that Tom Thibodeau has put his players in the best possible position to succeed? XJ first. I think loaded on average, loaded ass question. It's a way. super loaded question. It's like <laughs> loaded is all well, right. Ready? Well, loaded is on well, you, XJ. Go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think on average, he's put the team in the position in the best position to succeed, like most of the time. And so I think I'm I'm also in this middle ground with you, Sean. That it seems like a lot of people are not there. I. I I surprisingly, I think all three of us are going to be sort of there. Yeah. Um, so I think most of the time he does. And if you look at net rating by quarter, only in the first and second quarter, does he do that? But, uh, I digress. Um, I think what I want to say is about, about is that I try to think, how do you evaluate a coach? I think it's very difficult to do. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's much harder than evaluating players. Um, how do you evaluate a coach? And it's so hard because you can, two people can look at the same thing and have two opposite perspectives. And it's basically impossible to prove the counterfactual. So, what I mean by that is I can look at Grimes and be like, wow, Grimes is doing really well. Look at his defense, look at his development. And I can say, you know, that's because Tips is coaching him. He's, he, you know, he's teaching him how to play defense. He's putting him in really great positions defensively. His scheme works for his skill set. Um, he's taking advantage of all his skills and his, his talents. Or I can say Grimes is doing that in spite of Tibbs, right? Grimes is just really good. Maybe Grimes would be better if he was coached by a better coach who put him in better positions to succeed. It's really impossible to say which is correct or which is not. It's just no way to discern between those two counterfactual situations. And so when you're looking at a coach, it's like, how can we evaluate the coach? That's why we have this, that's why we have this polarized perspective on Tibbs, I believe. It's just because you can have someone who thinks, you know, I appreciate Tibbs's consistency. I appreciate appreciate his his drive, his passion, his commitment to getting players to play as hard as they can, um, his reliability or his um, trust in his best players. All those kinds of things. You can just really appreciate those things about Tibbs, and then you can look at the situation and say, "I think that this is all because Tibbs is really good. The Knicks are are a really 
decent team, above average team. Why? Because of Tibbs. They're top 10 in offense, top 10 in defense. Why? Because of Tibbs, right? You can say that, but then I can look at the same situation and say, well, you know, they don't have high end talent, but they might have the most talented roster one to 12 in the NBA. It, it, like I can make that argument just in terms of the depth that they have, like guys that they have coming off the bench guys that they have, you know, not even playing very many minutes who are really good basketball players. Um, so I could say, well, if I gave another coach to this team, if I put Steve Kerr here, if I put Nick Nurse here, this team would be competing for the fourth seed. You know, this team would be a top four team in the East. Maybe impossible to say either way, right? It's really impossible to say. And there's no good stats. There's no good metrics to show, um, you know, to evaluate in a vacuum how good a coach is. So it's a really difficult thing for me. I, I, I generally stay away from the conversation, but I do notice when there are issues with decision-making that affect the organizational outlook in the long run that really bother me. But it's also hard to blame just the coach on those decisions because those are organizational decisions. And so it's less, I have less the hostility specifically for Tibbs as I do for the organization. For instance, Again, when you evaluate a coach, what do you have to look at? What's their goal? What's your goal for the team? What's your goal for the team? If your goal for the team is to bottom out and develop young players, then Tibbs is not doing a good job at all, right? If your goal for the team is to win as many games as you can in the 2022-2023 season, Tibbs is doing pretty well. So like, you know, probably could be doing better. We we probably, you know, left a few games out there, but that's also hard to say cuz maybe he helped us win a few games that we shouldn't have won otherwise. So it's really tough. Um, but you know, I think my main issue with Tibbs is just like I have a different perspective on how this team should move forward, maybe not drastically, but slightly. And I would have prioritized playing some of the younger guys that are playing right now. I think the biggest thing that you can be justified in the criticism of Tibbs is the fact that guys like Quentin Grimes, guys like Emmanuel Quickly, we are seeing those guys perform at a very high level. And people such as myself have been asking for those guys to play big minutes for a very long time. It's been refuted. And then we see that counterfactual when those guys actually play. Those are excellent basketball players that can contribute to winning right now. Um, and to me, that's the most justifiable criticism of Tibbs. But I think I give Tibbs kind of like a B minus. That's kind of my grade for him. And, um, you know, I think this season he's been a lot better than last season. I'll say that much. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my perspective on it. It's well said. Um, the original question was what, Sean? Like, it do you put think players he, in the yeah, best position this, to win? Yes, this season. This season, the best, the best positions to succeed. <sighs> Again, it goes back to it goes back to what your expectations were for this season. And like I'm someone that saw Jalen Brunson coming here and thought I was that thought it was a legitimate hot take to be like 45 wins. And and guess what? If the Knicks go um 22 and 18 the remainder of the season, they will have 45 wins this season. Like I'm not I'm asking them to be a, a barely above 500 team the rest of the way. And to XJ's point, it's difficult to attribute at all to Tibbs. If you believe the reporting that Chris and Jeremy have done lately, a lot of the recent rotation changes have been the front office being like, Hey, like go away from Derek Rose for a little bit. Like we don't need to see him anymore. Um, 
and like also to what's been said, like, and this this isn't a new like thing to say, but like last season, the number one thing that people were calling for was like change something. Like the the Jeff Van Gundy quote during the Heat game midseason last year. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. And we're getting the same 10 men either not competing for three quarters and then the kids come in and help close the gap or we're getting them the same 10 men uh, build up a lead and then without a single adjustment, blow it in the second half. And that's where the recent struggles have been so familiar to last season. Um, To answer your question, I would say has a long way to get to answering your question. I would say, yeah, Tibbs has done a, a good job of putting, for the most part, his guys in a position to succeed. Look, XJ and I have just like a different, I don't know if it's a philosophy on tanking because I, I agree with your math. I just don't think it's productive. Like, I'm, I'm not sure Kevin Porter Jr. is developing well right now in the situation he's in. I'm not sure Jalen Green is getting anything, but they've committed to being ass. And if... Uh, good job, Rockets. Like, I, I just don't know if these games are actually all that good. And I think the Knicks being in a position where you're actually trying to develop good habits and build toward playoff experience will help them in the long run. And it's why... Yeah, I think he's done more so than not a good job of putting his team in position to succeed. And his players, more specifically. I just, I just want to say real quick, Sean. Uh, I just wanted to clarify. I, I would, I'm not for tanking this year. I was never for okay. tanking this year. No, just, just in just general. In general, general. Yeah. I, yeah. I just wanted to clarify, just in case anybody thought I have been advocating no, that the Knicks tank this year. But we, yeah. we got into it in the YouTube comments way back when. That like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I under like the math is correct. If you're like trying to have your best lottery position possible then yes, be it, be at the top of the draft. I'm just not sure that guarantees anything. And I'm also not sure it isn't more harmful if you do have younger players on your roster. And like the biggest thing that I just I cannot get over is like this, ro- this rotation, the oldest players, Julius Randle. Like right now, this is exactly what we've wanted. They're playing the kids. Yes, it took divine intervention and potentially the coach finding religion but like this is a rotation I can get behind. I, I I'm choosing to enjoy this, you know. So that's where I am, Sean. So, and I'll wrap up. Um, I actually think the answer is he isn't. Mm. But I'll say this: he's putting them in a position to succeed, but he's not putting them in the best position to succeed. Okay. Because when we started off the season, we were losing these games. And remember, I I left the super chat. I said it's not the what. It's the how. And when I see like like the people who hate Tibbs no matter what, and honestly, they came out, they were out yesterday because they were saying that, oh, like the, because now it's, there's no quality wins. Like this is the fucking BCS, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't, but at the same time, it's like you're playing, someone made a comment on, on, on yesterday's uh, post game, like, um, Tired players make bad decisions or tired players make lazy decisions. Um, Referencing to, uh, you know, RJ throwing the ball away and, you know, the and ones, all that stuff like that. It's like, all right, you're playing. You have a backup power forward that's more than capable to play more minutes than nine, but you chose to play at nine. And then 
you you uh you need to have a rim protector on the court at all times in the NBA in 2023. Like, and then when you uh, when you talk to the tips apologist, they just say like, "Oh, well, that's tips." Well, when Julius throws a temper tantrum, if I say, "Well, that's Julius," that doesn't fly, right? So, yes. Emmanuel quickly become defender he has been is because of Tom Thibodeau. Like, if you say it's not, you're lying to yourself. Quentin Grimes, where he is. Um, Obi Toppin become a better three-point shooter is because of Tom Thibodeau. Like, that's what, what it is. Uh, unless you believe XJ that he was always... Well, there. no, because sample size matters. And sample, sample size matters. And he was god-awful his first year from three. No, but I think it's out of necessity. Like he's been posted up in the corner. No, so I yeah, had to get better that, at three point shooting. But that, <laughs> that's the bigger point. Yeah. That, yeah. No, that I that is said. But then again, there's some people you do that to and they crumple and they fall apart. Right. Hi, Chris Duarte. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, listen, I personally, when it comes to coaches, like in football, if I have to choose between the OC and the DC to be my head coach, I choose the OC because an OC does not obstruct. Whereas a DC will obstruct because ultimately his job is to obstruct, it's to prevent you from doing something, right? The problem with defensive coordinators as head coaches is that they kick the field goal on fourth and goal from the one. They punt the ball fourth and one from their opponent's 45 because they're like, well, let the defense win the game, even though the game is 35 35. It's like, let the defense win the game. The defense is not winning the game, right? Um, and I think ultimately, when it comes, when you have a defensive coach, these are the issues that arise, and we should be able to talk about those issues and say, like, and not necessarily mean he should be fired. Although I believe what should be done eventually must be done immediately. I'm not going to say like fire him after yesterday's foolishness or whatever, or Mon- or Monday's foolishness or whatever, right? Like Monday, like I wanted, like I felt like Jonathan Macri, and I will say what Jonathan Macri wanted to say on Monday is that all the people that were saying that Monday's loss was on Tibbs because the Bucks got high from three are fucking idiots, and you people are stupid. All right, I won't say that. I'll retract on behalf of... You can bleep that out if you want to, right? <laughs> Sean. Yeah, okay, they're not, they're not if, they're idiots. No but one's it, stupid if they disagree. No, 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 no. It's, it's it, no, some, no, disagreements can okay, be stupid. some are stupid, fine. No, no disagreements just, can be stupid. I, like, they can listen, be. I, I gotta jump in, because I don't think... I don't necessarily think that like if if you look, because you're you're right in the sense that, and I'm lucky enough as a Jets fan that I had Todd Bowles, defensive coordinator, didn't terrible offense as they, as they got here. Robert Sala, do I need to talk about how good the Jets defense was this year mm-hmm. and the shit show that the offense became? Um, I, I ironically, the one offensive guy they turned to was Adam Gase, and that we all know how that went. And look, my biggest critique through the Rex Ryan tenure when the Jets had like great defense after great defense. And it's like, well, what do we do about this quarterback named Mark Sanchez? We could throw a bunch of for offensive linemen from the first round around him and like all these rushing leaders and Thomas Jones and Landania Tomlinson and maybe Braylon Edwards and, and Santonio Holmes and Flexico Burris will help. But it doesn't change the fact that we don't have like an offensive philosophy or identity around that, that team. Now football is different than basketball. So I, I, I do understand the comp, but it, I do think there are key differences. I also don't think Tibbs is clueless when it comes to offense. Like he's not someone that is very flexible or very creative when it comes to offense, but like 
I just you, you're a clueless offensive head coach doesn't have a top ten offense. That's where the data has to like have to have to matter there. Um, <laughs> although XJ's shaking his head now because I, I see where he's coming from. Here's what I'll say: the reason What's why those people are idiots is not because they not because they had the not because they had the opinion that um, Tibbs may have done things that cost in the game mm-hmm. is that when you present to them contrasting evidence, they choose to ignore it because they want to stay on that line lane. And that's why if you do uh, that, okay. you're an idiot yeah, because you're, you're not man. even yeah. taking into account. Like, like they got hot from three, like I got into whatever. So I also say this, we should be able to have honest conversations about Tom Thibodeau. We should be able to, and as long as they're not stupid things, you know, but if we listen, if we have conversation, we listen to each other, we can have honest conversation about him and everyone else. And we realize that where Tom Thibodeau is, is somewhere in the middle. It's not over here and it's not over there. It's somewhere in the middle. And I hope we as a fan base can realize that. Before I go back to XJ, I think the, yeah, the the middle part is what people just in general struggle with. And I like, OK, growing up, I thought this was just like a New York thing. You know, like I thought that the way we argue and stuff and there's the, the attitude like I'm I'm doing the for those watching on YouTube, I'm, I'm doing the head thing like we're New Yorkers. We're tough. You know, you talking like, to me. Exactly. <laughs> you know, who you talking to like I, I thought that was a New York thing, especially when I went like I went to school down south. And they're like, yo, you're, you're, you have an attitude. You have an edge to you. It's like, what are you talking about? I have an edge. And then I thought it was like, it, there, there is like an, an attitude of like, it's not just that I'm right, but you're dumb. And then as social media has become more uh, ubiquitous and, and prominent and important to interaction as we've all gotten older, especially over the last five to 10 years, I realized this is just like, a part of human nature at this point that because of the anonymity of the internet, you have to treat it. It almost feels like you have, there's no room for nuance. It has to be, I'm not just right, but I have to with my 140 or 280 characters show you why you're dumb too. And it's all about the gotchas and the quote tweets. And and I'm not like blaming social media for the, the reason people are, on either side of the Tibbs discourse. I'm literally saying like, I, I think that is part of why polarization in all conflict or conversations happens. And it's why like, I do kind of pride what Nick's film school has to an extent in that we can have this honest conversation. I think he's like Benji said it a couple weeks into the season after they had made the first rotation change. He's not a great coach. Like what you're saying, he's not a great coach. He's probably like a top 15 head coach, which is the middle. And I don't think he should be fired yet. I'm not there anymore. I was after the Dallas game because that felt like rock bottom, but they made another change. And it was clear that this, this roster has other options. And it, it like proved XJ's point that like things might change with the new head coach. But I also acknowledge that the stability, I believe, is still is still important. And I'm not sure this this young team is ready for something that isn't as stable, you know, because I'm just not sure what the unknown is able to offer if they were to pivot to it. So um, XJ, what do you got? Yeah, the, the last thing I want to say is I think we just need to be careful when making like some of these definitive statements that we tend to make, like 
you can't have a be a bad offensive coach and have a top 10 offense because you absolutely can. <laughs> um, and, and an we example? just, well, no, but it's just that we just don't under, we don't know all the machinations of how things are happening, right? Like we don't know that there's an offensive genius on Tibbs's coaching staff who is implementing a lot of the offense and Tibbs is like, yeah, I'll take bits and pieces of your suggestions here and there. But in the fourth quarter, I want to go ISO ball because that's where I'm comfortable. Like it is very possible again, in a counterfactual that we don't have evidence of mm-hmm. where another coach has the same team. And this is a top five offense because in the fourth quarter, they don't like hunker down and start just ISOing, you know, Julius and, and Brunson every possession. Like we, we don't know that could also happen and they'd be worse. Like we have no idea. And that's why I'm just careful to make definitive statements about like, this can't happen. This doesn't happen. This is it. This is true. This is not true. Like, that's why I really rely on data and in coaching, it's very hard to do that. And that's the only thing I would caution against. I think that's why I lean more toward I it's, it's counterfactual for me at least to see like top 10, top 10 and be like, okay, like he he's there. He's clearly doing something wrong, you know? And that's where I, I think I push back to any of the criticisms. Like I, I agree mostly with you, Sean, that I just didn't see the 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 big like adjustment that needed to be made when you're like we're gonna take Giannis away. If we take Giannis away, we have a better chance of winning than not. And the 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 shot quality chart that came back was like, oh yeah, so the Knicks win seventy six percent of the time playing the exact way they did, and the Bucks getting hot is just like something you concede in the NBA. Um, I I didn't see the coaching L necessarily. Do I think he has more coaching L's than? some of the sterner Tibbs crowd gives him credit for. Yes. And I think that that more than anything is not necessarily where I struggle with the conversation, but it's where like, I wish I wish it, the, the, the pro tips crowd got better at is correlating some of the things he does to losing, you know, like he can be responsible for losses, even if he is also responsible for wins, you know? So all right. How honest was that conversation, Sean? I believe that was very honest. Very um, honest. Good. Yeah. And, and then like literally the people that like I, I said the same conversation with people on the Internet on weekend, like on, on Twitter and whatever about like, you know, you like you can't stop everything. So they chose to take away Giannis. And if they single cover Giannis and Giannis scores 62 points, it would have been why the hell are you single covering Giannis to, to guard Pat Connaughton. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's the honest conversation trying to have. And look, I think we even talked about this. If it's not publicly, we might have talked about in the group chat. Like I 100% worry about Tibbs in a playoff series because like he was citing it last night, how good they were from three point defending the three as far as three point percentage in a post game presser. And I was like, you're not wrong, but if you just get the right team, like I was then looking at matchups potentially in the first round. And if they go up against the team, like honestly, it killed them two years ago against the Hawks that he was just like, okay, we're going to allow them to take a ton of threes. They did and hit them. And before you know it, you're down 3-1 going back to, to New York. And it's like, okay, well, now what do we do? And there's just like the adjustments are not there that should have been tested out during the, the regular season. So I do like worry about them in a playoff series. And like this might be contradictory and, and I don't know if it's controversial, but like as much as I believe in Tibbs, I do believe that when this team is ready to contend, a different coach will be at the helm. You know, I, I especially a much more offensive-minded head coach, and that's that's not a bad thing. 
you know, it's okay I, for him to be Mark Jackson <laughs> when the time so is right. That's the, the the second part you added was was the important one, which is why the flat out venom that came for Tibbs last year. I had it for mostly the front office to be like, dude, either fire him or like step in because we're three and seventeen in our last 20 and it's with the exact same 10 guys playing the exact same rotations and minutes either like something has to change from top to bottom. And we saw like some of that during those last 25 games and they went 13 and 12 this season. We've seen so many changes and so much more flexibility and we have a nine man rotation full of kids under 28. And I like, I'm not there that the Mark Jackson role that Tibbs is playing is complete yet. You know, I'm just, I'm just not there yet. I also, I'm sorry, Steph Curry's not on the Knicks. There, there, there has to play a part in the equation of Mark Jackson that he was holding back an all-time great talent, and like Steve Kerr coming in and being like, "Oh, I'll start Draymond Green," is like part of the equation as well. So I'm, I understand the comp, but the time has to be right, and I'm not, I'm not 100 there yet. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay. That was a good first half of the pod. I, I dig it. I thought that was a good conversation. XJ, believe some facts are not going to care about my feelings at the moment. Uh, facts might not, but stats definitely won't. Ah, so stats my, might not care about my feelings. <laughs> my uh, my box in one. T- it's not box in one because Mens is not here. It's kind of bumming me out. We're but playing uh, three on three. We are playing three on three. <laughs> um, my topic is a segment I like to call "Stats Don't Care About Your Feelings." During this segment, I share one Nick stat or a collection of stats that seems potentially troubling, 
and learn from the crew, whether it brings them down or whether they're totally unconcerned. Uh, last week's segment was about RJ's value to the rotation, kind of relative to what quickly can provide as a starter. That was met with, uh, you know, I would say a polarizing response, which I really appreciated. And <laughs> if I'm if I'm doing my job right, I have a feeling this week's segment will be, uh, you know, responded to similarly. So this week's stats don't care about your feelings is about the little discussed dynamic between one Julius Randall and one Jalen Brunson. Um, so to give some credit, this topic was really kind of inspired by a discussion I was having with my guy, Frank Barrett on Twitter, who is a contributor to the Strickland. Um, mm-hmm. we were messaging during the Bucks game a little bit and he said something like not staggering, uh, Brunson and Randall's minutes really hurt the Knicks. Um, and that just one comment got me thinking about the dynamic between the two. Um, so I did a bit of an investigation into the data to see how the team performed um, when they're on the court together and when they're on the court separately. So let me share some of that investigation with you both and, and let you both react. Um, I love it. So let's first look at uh, when Randall's on the court and Brunson is off the court, the Knicks have an incredible f- plus 14.8 on off differential. That's incredible. Um, and the interesting thing about it is not just that the differential is great with just Randall and no Brunson is that the way they do it is actually both their offense and defense are excellent. Um, there seem to be no weaknesses, uh, when Julius is on the court and Brunson is off. Um, and that's just the team performance. So I Mm -hmm. want to see their individual performances. Like I said, when Randall is on, but Brunson is off, Randall scores about 32 points per 36 and has a red hot 64% true shooting percentage. Um, so the Knicks are extremely dynamic and essentially dominant when Randall is on and Brunson is off. Okay. This is over 684 possessions. This is not a tiny uh, sample size. Um, okay, so that's Julius on, Brunson off with uh, JB on and, and Randall off. It looks like the Knicks have a similarly exceptional on-off differential of plus 12. In those situations, their offense is very good, but their defense is actually elite. Um, With uh, JB on and Randall off, we're only giving up 103 points per 100 possessions. Insanely good defense would be the best in the NBA. Um, And then again, looking at Brunson's individual stats without Randall on the court, he's scoring about 28 points per 36 and has a red hot true shooting of 63%. So uh, another dominant Knicks team, like we have two separate teams. They're both dominant. Uh, let's okay. Let's finally look at what we really care about with Randall and Brunson on the court together, 2,300 possessions. This is, this is because tips plays guys a lot of minutes. So they're mm-hmm. going to play together a lot. Um, in these situations, when the Knicks have their two best players on the court, they actually have a completely even point differential of 0.0. Mediocre, uh, any way you slice it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, they quite literally give up the same number of points as they score. Uh, and in these circumstances, their offense is really, really good. Really, really good. But their defense is in the 17th percentile in the league per clean the glass, which is to say horrible, right? Giving up 118 points per 100 possessions. Awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, like I said, I finally looked at their individual performances when they're both on the court. Randall's scoring drops to about 22 points per 36 minutes, which, you know, that's to be expected because the usage is dispersed around. But his efficiency also drops off to a 56% true shooting percentage. 
And then Brunson scoring drops to almost the exact same figures, about 23 points per 36 minutes and true shooting of 57%. Another dr- big drop off. Um, so this is weird and I want to let you guys react, but I just want to say one last thing. I know that I, I, I can hear some of the potential backlash about or like the comebacks or the counterpoints to some of this, but as kind of a quick control measure, I took a quick look at the numbers when both Randall and Brunson each share the court with RJ Barrett and the differentials there are pretty much negligible. Like they're the same. They're, mm. they're the same when it's just RJ and, and Randall and when it's RJ or yeah, RJ and no Randall. And when it's RJ and Brunson and RJ and no Brunson about the same. Um, and then I also looked at several star pairs on a bunch of other teams in the NBA and found that this type of relationship that I'm talking about between Randall and Brunson either doesn't exist at all or exists to a much lesser extent. And most teams seem to be much better when both of their two best players are on the court. So this is just to counter the idea that this is only happening because their numbers are worse because they play together against opposing starters and play individual individually against lesser competition. This, 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 uh, we don't see this pattern in other teams. We don't see this pattern with RJ Barrett. We don't see this pattern with other teams with their best two players. So after dropping this array of stats on you all, um, my question is, are you concerned about the fit between Julius and Brunson? Um, and if you are, do you think they need to have their minutes staggered or do you even actually think Randall and Brunson don't work together long-term as a pair? Um, I'll go first. Cause it, it's quick. It's less about, it's less for me about whether I think they don't work together. Cause I, I do wonder if this version of Julius Randall, like being a, a dead even, right? Like being, being a net, a net neutral would exist without Jalen Brunson, you know, like, yes, I understand. Like it's, it's not a great defensive rating. Jalen Brunson's not a great defensive player and like newsflash, neither is, neither is Julius Randall. Um, this was a thing I, I suggested. I don't know if it was last week or it was on playback. I, we do a lot of shows here at Nick's home school, but like they should, the, the stagger for the nine man rotation shouldn't be, RJ runs with the second unit. It should be either Julius or Brunson because Brunson's a two-man uh, net rating with quickly is great. And I loved what Julius... Like, you could go back to the Spurs game and see that Julius and quickly figured out a nice two-man game. Um, so that... The, the unfortunate part is Obi Toppin then has to... Oh no, it's not even unfortunate. He just then has to find different ways to get minutes, which is where I, it then goes back to Tom Thibodeau that him staggering differently would be an important thing. I, I wholly agree with the notion that they should stagger better. Um, it's just then figuring out how and and when that that actually happens. Um, yeah, I agree that they should stagger. I don't necessarily agree long term that. They, they don't work out. Um, so that's at least my initial thought. Uh, Sean, what do you got? I think they are working out together, but I also think that this is as good as it's going to get. Oh, because like how much better can Julius Randle become? You know, like how much better can Jalen Brunson? Like, can he go up a level? Because he goes up a level. Shit. Now we're talking about like top five point guards in the league. Like, you know, um, so I think I think. Julius and Jalen 
together being net neutral relatively is because without Jalen Brunson, like the funny thing is, it's interesting because you say with Jalen Brunson without J- Julius on Jalen off, Julius is playing well, very well this season, right? Whereas, superstar level, to yeah, be clear, superstar level. Whereas, you know, but the funny thing is, like, we've the data and Andrew alluded to it, the data shows that IQ and Julius work well together this year and last year. Um, but when so, but when I, last year, when there was no IQ and there was no Julius, I mean, when there's no Jalen, obviously, last year, things. If the bird, the burden becomes heavier on him, and when the burden is heavier, he's more likely to falter because he's a flawed player. He's good, he's not great. Um, so I think what they they have something that works, but it's not like oh, and there's no place to go but up. I think we're already there. Um, and the fact that when you separate them now, and obviously, listen, we all know that five man lineups depends on who they're on the court with, what have you. But the fact that you separate them things increase like for both of them lets me know that like each player has to sacrifice something to the other in order to make the other thrive. And I don't know. And star players should do that. Star players have to do that. Like Steph has to sacrifice for clay at times and vice versa. But at the same time, but when Steph sacrifices for clay, clay is a, out of out of this world. When Clay sacrifices or Steph, or when Draymond decide when Draymond three years ago decided, you know what, I'm not going to shoot anymore. I'm just like their where they the, the, their ceiling is way higher than with ours. So I think it it works because clearly look at them. We're like we're a good team. You know, we're playing well. 23 19. You know, last five minutes of the game aside, um, but I don't know how much better they can get together. So what are you what are you concluding then, XJ? So I would say it is concerning to me that the two best best players on the team don't seem to really complement one another. Um, theoretically, their counting stats should go down when they're on the court together. Usage is going to be dispersed, like I said. But also theoretically, their efficiency should go up because they're each creating gravity for one another. Um, it's harder for a defense to really key in on one of them because the other one's also there. And we're not seeing that happening. We're not seeing that happening. We're not seeing them relieve each other's burden. We're seeing them thrive when the other's not there. And to me, that could be, again, it's really hard to, to, to speak to causality here, but that could be because they don't work together as a pair. And it could speak also speak to a coaching flaw as well. Um, for instance, we're talking about staggering and it would be great to stagger them. I think that should happen, but you shouldn't have to stagger your best players that much in an ideal world because at the end of the game, you can't. In the fourth quarter, you can't stagger your best, your two best players. Those two guys are going to be on the court in the last seven to eight minutes of the game under any coach. Um, so you can't stagger them. They need to work together and they need to either extend a lead that you have, maintain a lead that you have, or come back in a, in a game that you're losing. So you need to win those minutes when your two best players are on the court. You can't say, hey, we're better when it's just one of them. And so in you know five minutes left, we choose which one plays. Like That is not a way that you're going to win basketball games um, long term. So to me, it's either about something about the offensive system where maybe the, the game is not flowing as well when both of them are on the court. And so that's why some of their offensive ratings are down and, and their defensive ratings are, are worse. 
Um, or maybe they just don't work together. They do. They operate on similar parts of the court. They like to do very similar things. They like to isolate. They like to get into the paint. Um, and they're kind of taking turns and, and, and not in such an overt way like we've seen from other star players or, or, or pairs of stars. Um, but even some of these other stars that we think of as ones who take turns like KD and Kyrie, they're all, they're, their team is much better when they're both on the court than when either of them are off. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's concerning. It's, you know, a relatively small sample size, not a huge sample size, just because Brunson doesn't have a ton of minutes and possessions on while Randall's off. But it is, it does seem clear to me that Randall's better without Brunson. Um, so, and vice versa. And vice versa. But like I said, it, it's a smaller sample size for, mm-hmm. for Brunson minutes. But yes, vice versa. That's very true. And so I think it's mildly concerning. I think I want to see how the rest of the season goes. But at the end of the day, I don't think both of these players complement one another. And I think one of them is going to have to not be on the team for the Knicks to take the next step. That's what I conclude. Go ahead, Sean. I'll say one thing really quickly. So everyone knows um, when it comes to betting and sweating, um, the horse that I ride next first quarter, right? XJ said that in the in the end of the fourth quarter, in the last seven minutes of the game, that's when your two best players play together. Um, that also happens in the first seven, eight minutes of the game. And the Knicks have the seventh best net rating in the first quarter in the league. Mm-hmm. So, so then that tells me, it's like, okay, well, they clearly play together in the beginning. Because something something is going right in the beginning because their net rating is 8.4 in the first quarter. But then again, their net rating in the fourth quarter is negative 1.6. And now maybe because they're honestly, it's spamming pick and roll or it's your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. So maybe that's a problem that someone could figure out, you know, someone who has <laughs> control of team in <laughs> strategy and tactics. I don't know, but Look, I'll make it a clean sweep. The biggest difference between the first and third quarter, first and fourth quarter, if you want to, and look, this is, this is fully just my brain and my memory trying to put this together. But like, we know that a Jalen Brunson sub was happening at around six, six to five minutes left in the first quarter. And you get some of those stagger minutes. And we see the lead start to build after that. And in the fourth quarter, I mean, the panic button gets pushed. We get eight to nine minutes of Julius and and Brunson on the floor. And that's been like the case for most of the season, especially when you factor in Obi's injury and, you know, how well Julius has played without, with, with, that's another theory for the future without Obi. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I agree. They they should stagger better and the fourth quarter offense sucks. Like that's it's like that has to be acknowledged even if you're the staunchest defender of Tom Thibodeau. They should stagger better and the fourth quarter offense is needs to be better, you know? Um so Kina time will tell if the Knicks have invested in these two players and they don't fit well together, XJ, but I guess we'll see. I I that's my main concern. I mean you really said a lot of what I would have said as well, as far as like some of the observations that Sean made about between the first and the fourth quarter. I think, you know, the, there's some staggered minutes that happen in the first quarter and the fourth quarter that does not happen at all. The panic button gets pushed and these guys are playing together. Yeah. And, and we also know their worst quarter is the third quarter, which 
you know, they similarly play minutes, a bunch of minutes together at the beginning of the third quarter. So, um, it's like yeah, I just, that gets done in the first quarter, then gets, gets undone. The yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. yep. I just, I just think this is some evidence, not, not conclusive and not proof, but this is some evidence towards the idea that these two players can, won't be able to play together if the Knicks are going to reach their highest heights. And so, you know, I think in the in the off season we can be open to dealing one of them. I would like to to be Randall because I I think Brunson is better long term. But you know that's just my opinion. And that's where we can give Thibodeau a pass because he has to deal with these two. He has to deal with this, and his, mm-hmm. his, he can only do but so much. Yeah. Um. This isn't my topic, but I just want to point out I pulled up the two man combos on it's basketball reference like cleaning the glass, but. Like all of the the positives for Emmanuel quickly is all I'm gonna say. Just it's not a, a foolproof solution, but maybe it is. Just more Emmanuel quickly, the better. Um, which what XJ's giving me a face. What? Oh no! I just I want to trade him for late first. That's all. Uh- I'm <laughs> yeah, I think we should get rid of him. He's well, not efficient. He's not efficient. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Just you'll get, get him out of wish. here. Don't yeah, worry. It's terrible. Yeah, it's no worries. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You've got New Year's goals, and HelloFresh is here to help you achieve them. Take control of your time and budget with delicious recipes delivered right to your door. Looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year? Cut back on expensive takeout and delivery and get started with HelloFresh. You'll love how easy, fun, and affordable it is to whip up a restaurant-quality meal right in your own kitchen. With fast and fresh recipes, HelloFresh's latest line of meals featuring robust flavors and filling portions are ready in less than 50 minutes. Enjoy taste and quality done quick with recipes like falafel power bowls, seared steak and potatoes with béarnaise sauce, or southwest pork and bean burritos. If you know anything about me, you know that I'm not the greatest when it comes to cooking. Thankfully, I found a life partner that loves her time in the kitchen and loves putting together these elaborate meals. Unfortunately, with her schedule working at a school all day and my schedule covering sports all night, we rarely have time to go to the grocery store together. Well, HelloFresh has made it possible for us to do all the grocery shopping for the week right from the comfort of our living room. In fact, just last night when I was editing the latest KFS pod, she was putting together two plates of Presto Pesto Panko Chicken with roasted potatoes and green beans. We were able to do dinner and a movie without even leaving the comfort of our own home. And this is just one of several delicious HelloFresh meal options with cook and prep time 
taking less than an hour. When you've got busy, conflicting schedules like ours, you don't have to go out for dinner and a movie. Instead, it comes right to you. Don't hesitate. Head to HelloFresh.com slash Filmschool21 and use code Filmschool21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Filmschool21 and use code Filmschool21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. My, uh, we, we've talked a lot about Tibbs. We've talked a lot about the Knicks. I'm going to give us a break with my box in one topic. Um, I pushed back on John on Monday night when he said that Giannis is a contender for the MVP in the NBA this year. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I've been kind of charting it for the last month. And I, I just flat out see other candidates on a deeper dive this afternoon. I'm not going to say he's a contender because I, I really do think this has become a two-man race. So that's what I mean where he's not a contender. However, I'm not as dismissive of, of him being in the next tier from like three to eight. You know? So that's, that's where I'm going to. And we haven't gotten your guys' takes on the MVP of the NBA. So one through five, what would your MVP picks be? What would your ballot look like? XJ and Sean. We'll start with XJ. So I'm really excited for this topic, Mm -hmm. not even to talk about the top five, which I'll give in one second, but really to talk about Giannis candidacy, because I've heard a lot of takes Uh about where he should rank and be in this uh, conversation. And uh, spoiler alert, he should not be in the conversation. He should not be in the conversation about the conversation. He should not be around the conversation. Oh, geez. Uh, (laughs) You know what? I I was wrong. He should be in the conversation. If we're talking about top 15 candidates for MVP, maybe he should be in the conversation. Um. But <laughs> this is the thing you're going to get ratioed or whatever. Oh, I'll take it because I, I have evidence to back up. Go ahead. What I'm Let me hear the data. What I'll, no, what I'll say first, I'll give my ranking. So, so right now I have, uh, I think I have it as Jokic. Uh, Jokic is the clear number one to me. Doncic is the clear number two. Those are like one and two. There's, you know, dot, 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 dot. And then the rest, um, the next tier down is going to be for me and Bede and Durant around the same. Um, obviously Durant is hurt, but I want to say I'll save this for the Giannis conversation. Durant is hurt, but he's still in the top, you know, the top four. Mm-hmm. And then fifth is really tough. Fifth is kind of a toss up. There's no real good candidates. I would put Tatum there, but I don't feel great about it. Um, and there's a few other contenders for maybe the fifth spot, but I think one and two is obvious. Um, three and four is kind of that's a tier of itself and then five, maybe five to eight. There's like another tier and then there's a tier below that. So that's how I would rank them. As far as Giannis's candidacy, <laughs> Giannis is not having a Giannis year. Um, he's just not. He's he's the only thing that he's done well is score on volume. Um, that's really it. And uh, I can break it down. So I like impact metrics. Impact is what matters to me in basketball. It's about if it's about winning the game, all you care about is who is impacting winning. (laughs) You don't care about who's scoring 33 points per game or any of that stuff. You care about who is causing the team to win. Mm -hmm. Um, So EPM, my favorite impact metric, Giannis has a 5.2, which is 15th in the NBA. Um, Raptor is another really high regarded impact metric. Giannis's 4.1 is 28th in the NBA. uh, RPM, which is ESPN's impact metric. I don't love RPM. It's okay. Um, it's not it's my real, favorite. Real plus minus, right? Real plus minus. Yeah. He is uh, 5.34. It's 13th in the NBA. 
his ra- yeah. Julius is like fifth, right? Julius yeah. Randall is like fifth in real plus minus. Yeah, I don't love real plus minus okay. to be fair, but but I I'm just add that context I, for people. He, That's all. Yeah. Um. And okay, raw on off. Giannis is a five point three in terms of his plus minus raw on off, which is seventy six percentile in the NBA. Right, we're talking. We're comparing him to guys like Jokic, who his raw on off is twenty five points, <laughs> and Giannis is five point three. Um, let's be clear. Giannis's true shooting plus is one oh one, meaning he his efficiency as a scorer, as a uh, shooter, including free throws, one oh one. He is a league average efficiency. Um, this is the second lowest of his entire career. Uh, he was better in his rookie season as far as his true shooting plus. Um, and yes, his, uh, everything else is, is not great. I mean, all he has is scoring points per game. I don't care about that. Um, his minutes, if we're talking about his comparisons to Embiid, he's actually only played 160 minutes more than Embiid Mm -hmm. and has played way less minutes than Durant. Durant has played 1400 minutes. Giannis has played 1180 minutes. So if we're trying to discount Durant's candidacy because of his injury and because he's out for some time, he's actually, he has a cushion in terms of playing time relative to Giannis. Um, Yeah. So like I said, I think all of these statistics support my case that Giannis has no case of even in the top five for MVP. So I I, I rest my case. Speaking of cases. (laughs) Um. Wow. Bring the heat. Bring the heat on Twitter, please. Thank you. Okay. You can, um, he, you can reach him at Xavier J Designs on Twitter. <laughs> Do not tweet at me or GMAC. Oh my gosh. Uh, Sean, what do you got? All right. Uh, first of all, um, Giannis is second in defensive win shares in the league. So there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to cherry pick some stats too. That's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I'll make this quick. Um, so I think that there's a clear cut. Top three, I think it's Jokic, I think it's Luka, and I think it's Kevin Durant. Um, I think this, uh, it's funny because I got into a uh, back and forth on the internet about who's a better player, Pascal Siakam or Kyrie Irving, and I picked Pascal, Pascal Siakam, and I was called a hater and everything but the son of God. Um and I was so, you know, 50, 40, 90, and da, 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 da. I was like, okay. I was, and then the funny thing is, like a day later, Kevin interest me and I'm like well now I guess I guess we'll see because my thing is like Pascal has more of a burden to handle than Kyrie Irving does because Kyrie Irving does only 50 40 90 playing against next to Kevin Durant LeBron James that matters but anyway so I have those three then there's a slight space and then I have a B4 and I think people want to talk about games played he's still played in 75 percent of the games played to this point he's a freaking monster um, it's a shame. Like I want him to win MVP because I believe he should have one. Whatever. And then number five, I wrote down, wrote down three names. I wrote down Giannis. I wrote down Tatum, and I wrote down Donovan Mitchell. And honestly, <laughs> I I'm afraid to say Donovan Mitchell because I feel like that will start a whole spe- a, a whole whatever of. Nick Fury should have made a Mitchell trade. Um, but the numbers he's putting up is insane offensively. It's insane. It's insane. Like, I, I heard Simmons the other day say, like, you know, if he was doing this like five years ago, no, like five years ago, if you said Donovan Mitchell is doing this now, you'd be like, oh, he's the MVP of the league, right? Yeah. 
Um, and then you have Tatum, who's just like like the Celtics just been like, I mean, they they had a little, little bit of a stretch, but like Tatum is out of his mind. Um, so I'm not going to have Giannis in the top five if I will choose because I want to choose violence. I will choose Donovan Mitchell as number five. And it's okay, Nick fans. It's okay. <laughs> because guess what? It's not like everything that he did there did doing now would have happened here if he was playing on this scene with different players. But that's my top five. Well, um, I would very much like to make a case for Luca to be the one spot. I haven't been able to make it yet, but I'm working on it. Having Can I help you that, make it? Sure. Uh, the rest of his team is ass, but like that's that's the only case I got. I mean, someone asked me like, if you took Luca off of that T, if you took Luca off the Mavs, how many games would they win? And I said, well, that means their primary score will be Tim Hardaway Jr. And I saw a team with Tim Hardaway Jr. as their primary score, and they were the worst team in the league. So that the problem is, it's not necessarily like, it's theoretical. You know, it's not unfortunately going to be able to be backed up in data. I do think just take data out for a second. Take, take the metrics, take, take all of this out for a second. I know it's tough XJ, but like take all of that out for a second. Um, what I will say is that um, voter fatigue plus narrative, they might lean toward if he could get them to a five seed, Actually, I'm just telling you the truth of why, like, not what no, I would you're, do. You're, but what you're could right. Happen. You're right, but okay. it frustrates me. But you're right. But like, this is the history of the NBA is narratives. Michael Jordan lost to Carmelo in MVP voting because of a well-written Jackie McMullen article. You know. Um, <laughs> having said that, while I'm trying to go Luca one, Jokic two, they're the clear top two for me. I have Kevin Durant. I guess it, I did have him three until. Uh, his injury, so he would be my three. I'm taking. I have him, Steph, and Zion, one, two, and three in a different tier of like we're gonna have to get get you guys more games played because one's not gonna play for a while, the other's not gonna play for a while, and the other just came back to keep playing. And then this is boring, Sean. I also had Embiid. I had Embiid three, Tatum four, Donovan Mitchell five, and that was gonna be my controversial thing that Giannis isn't top five, but. So the only push, I know you got to run, Sean, but I'm just going to say this to, to I, I understand what your impact metrics are saying, XJ. And I know the fat, the stats don't care about my feelings. There's something wrong with comparing Giannis to Giannis and being like, you're not an MVP <laughs> candidate anymore. Like, I'm not though. I'm comparing him to the other guys. Right. Yeah. But you're and saying comparing like him to himself. Yeah. To say but, he's having a bad season because he's not doing what he no, is normally doing. I'm not saying he's having a bad season. I'm not saying he's having a bad season. I'm saying he is having a bad season to his standard, which is not the reason why he's not in the MVP conversation. That's just a fact that's separate from this discussion. Mm -hmm. But also compared to the guys who deserve MVP more, he's not in that conversation. Sean's got to run. So. Shane, thank you, Sean. As always, I, I love you all. I Let's go, Knicks. Knicks Nation. Go, Let's ride. Thanks, Nation. Later, Sean. Next shout out. Keep fighting this out. Um, I look. The, the impact impact metrics are what they are. It's going to be tough to really refute them. Um, I just historically, the more I, I'm going through, like the I went back to nine ninety six, the Jordan's first one coming back. No, I went back to ninety four. I went to Hakeem. 
and uh, then David Robinson's MVP seasons. And the more you keep going through, Giannis is having like it's unfair to compare what they are, what his season this year counting stats wise is to them because the offense is more inflated. But it just doesn't. It does not sit. It doesn't. Especially watching the gravity that he commands on the floor when you watch him play. Um, they've had no Middleton this year, yet they have the second best record in the East. Um, I can't get to the point where he's like not in the conversation at all. I I think I can settle for sixth, and I guess in this case seventh because I bumped Durant out. But um, I, I I do think he is in that tier, and I think the league will also consider him in that tier. I have more aggressive hot takes, but I'm going to save them for people who at me on Twitter. I'm not like, going to drop them right like, now. No, come on. We got time. Two minutes. Which, which is that... I mean, guys ahead of Giannis, like... Like who? Uh, put, give, me, give me one name that you put ahead of Giannis that would scorch my eyebrows. Damian Lillard. Yeah, that scorched my eyebrows. That, 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 that makes no sense to me. Okay. So I mean, I also have Donovan of, Mitchell ahead of Giannis. Right, but know. that's that's at least defensible. Like all every so the 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 Google sheet that I made, like I all of the metrics that I point to outside of like you said, points per game and rebounds per game, I have Donovan Mitchell like neck and neck. He's higher in win shares, higher in VORP, higher in box plus minus, true shooting, all the above. The only thing he's lower than is usage. So he's doing better efficiency and better numbers oh wait the usage no the usage is yeah usage, usage, is usage is like a usage is my 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 phrase is usage is useless because usage just talks about <laughs> it's really just shot attempts it doesn't it just like Jokic it's, it's, has a low usage exactly it doesn't fact factor in how many times he's contributing exactly offense it on doesn't passing, account for you know? playmaking which right. just to just to clarify and just to put the spotlight on Jokic because um, you know, we talked about Doncic maybe having a case for number one. I don't think he does. I think Jokic is overwhelmingly the MVP right now. Um, and I think it's in spite of the historical narratives, I think it's still going to be hard if it stays this way. Like maybe Jokic will fall off a little bit, but if it stays this way, I don't think it's going to be your voters are going to be able to vote for anyone else. Like just to talk about it really quickly, Jokic first in EPM, first in Raptor, first in BPM. First in raw, in raw on off with a ridiculous, silly 25 plus 25 on off. So we're talking about how bad the Mavs are without Luca. Luca is, is a plus 11.4 raw on off. Jokic is plus 24.9 raw yeah. on off. And first amongst this group in true shooting plus 119. Um, Second in assist percentage with a silly 46.3 assist percentage, only second to Luca, who's 47.7. And this is, we're talking about a center and first in uh, total rebound percentage amongst this group. Like I don't think there's an argument against I Jokic. I don't, didn't I don't think say, anyone can make one. I didn't say I had an <laughs> argument. I said I want to make an argument. Okay. There is That's a fair. difference. That's fair. That's I know. Totally listen, fair. I don't have the impact metrics that you do. I just have the, the the few advanced metrics that I do pay attention to. Number one in VORP, number one in box plus minus, number one in defensive box plus minus, which is nuts. Um, win shares, win shares for 48, offensive win shares, and PER, which that I wet my butt with, but still. <laughs> I, I have to acknowledge he is first. Yeah. It would to add him to the three straight MVP club is going to be a hurdle voters have to get over. 
statistically, if they're the one seed and he's doing all of this, I I think you kind of have to just be like, all right, so Jokic <laughs> is Larry Bird. He's won three straight <laughs> MVPs. Got it. Um, it's just like the award, like change the award, like change how it's defined, change the criteria. Like we're talking about most valuable player during the NBA regular season. And if that is the reward we're giving out, then Jokic deserves it. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about like there needs to be historical context, add that to the award. If there needs to be playoff success, add that to the award. Make it like the full season after the finals. But under these circumstances, regular season, most valuable player for a single season, that's Jokic. It has been, it was last year and it was the year before. Like, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, why do you why do you hate Giannis and Tedekumpo? <laughs> I don't hate Giannis. Giannis nah, is an all time great. He might be a top fifteen player already. Like Jeez. I'm just talking about this year. And apparently this year he's worse than Julius Randle. Got it. <laughs> Good to know where you stand on things, XJ. Um, okay, that'll do it for Casual Friday. Thank you to Sean for for being here. <laughs> this is where you and I benefit from not having to go to do parent things <laughs> we don't have a hard out of a certain time because parent teacher conferences or whatever he had to run to tonight exists sean love you and uh i i'm glad we had the honest conversation about tom thibodeau uh xj anything you want to plug before you get out of here no nothing to plug i mean like i said at me on twitter if you want to argue about this i'm happy to do it just so everyone knows i made my name xj so that i'm easier to to tag in the in the YouTube chat. Ah. That's the whole reason I'm XJ. I said I want to be easy to get at. So mm-hmm. <laughs> at there you go. XJ. At XJ. <laughs> um, there you go. And at Xavier J Designs. No, but seriously, it, this was a great conversation. Glad we had it. I just want to say shout out to Mensa. And and that's about yeah. it. Yeah. Shout out Mensa. He'll be here next week. Um Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. If you watch this on YouTube, please like this video and then subscribe to the channel. We'll be back. Uh, They do not play next Thursday. So we'll be back next Friday, same time, same place. Uh, Until next time, thank you for listening. And wait, how do I usually end this? Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. And we'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.